Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text from the Gospel of today, St. Matthew, the 10th chapter, these words of our Lord, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, nothing is hidden that will not be known. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. Periodically, the great 20th century poet Robert Frost would have a class that he would teach to teachers. His first assignment to the teachers would be to do this. He would say that they were to read Mark Twain's The Celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County. Now for those of you who have read that in your days, The Celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County was, you recall, about a frog that lost a jumping contest because he'd been pumped full of quail shot so that he simply was so weighed down with lead that he couldn't move. And while the class then assembled, they were wondering how in the world this could possibly apply to them and to a course in education. And Frost patiently explained, but don't you see, Twain's story can be applied to teachers, it can be applied to teaching. And then to paraphrase him a bit, he said there are two kinds of teachers. There's the kind of teacher that fills the students with so many of the hard and the harsh realities of life that they become so fearful about them that they are weighed down like that frog in Mark Twain's Calaveras County. And then he said there are those teachers that give them the facts, that give them the details of the harsh realities of life, but at the same time they give them something, they give them that prod that enables them to jump higher and farther than they ever thought that they could. The beginning of today's gospel text says of the disciples, then Jesus sent them out, the twelve, instructing them. Here's the teacher, teaching those who would go out and teach others, teaching those to whom he said that they would disciple all nations, how? By baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, note then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever he had commanded them. And so the teacher now, the master teacher, is sending out those who will teach others in his name. And note how the teacher of all teachers prepares the preaching teachers to go out. He doesn't paint for them some Pollyanna picture of what the world is like out there. He doesn't paint for them some Pollyanna picture of what it's going to be like for them to be confessors out there in the world, as is done today by so many of the those who preach a gospel of popularity and a gospel of prosperity in our day. No, Jesus tells it very much like it is and like it always has been. It's going to be tough out there, he says to his disciples in essence. There are going to be temptations out there. There's going to be tribulation out there. There's going to be, you can be sure, persecution toward you out there. There's going to be a lot of quail shot flying around out there, and a lot of it's going to be headed in your direction because you can be sure Satan has both barrels pointed at you just as he has at me. Isn't that, in essence, what our Lord Jesus is telling his disciples when he sends them out and then he tells them about brother rising up against brother, father against his children, children against their parents, the closest family unities against one another is going to be like that. And it's all, he says, because of my name, for my name's sake. There's hostility out there.
toward the name of Jesus Christ, and that hostility is going to be, you can be sure of it, vented upon you. Always has been that way in the history of the church and always will be because the church is in the world, though to be sure the church is not of the world, and you are going to be on the receiving end of it. That's what it means to be a disciple of the cross. You're going to be on the receiving end of it because, he says, as we heard in today's gospel, a disciple, he says, isn't above his teacher, and a servant isn't above his master, and if they did it to me, which they did, if they did that to me, then what are they going to do to you? And in due time, each and every one of the disciples, save the Apostle John, found that very truth to be evident in their own lives. And so it is that the testimony of the ancient church tells us that Simon Peter was crucified in Rome, remember, upside down. His brother Andrew was crucified spread eagle in southern Greece after having spent years preaching the gospel of Christ and teaching the gospel of Christ in the Ukraine. James, put to sword by Herod Agrippa in Jerusalem in A.D. 44. His brother John, persecuted from banishment to a Greek island for 15, 14, 15 years. And there was Philip, martyred in Turkey. And there was Bartholomew, who was flayed, who was skinned alive north of modern-day Baku on the Caspian Sea. Or there was Thomas, speared to death near Madras on the coast of India. And Matthew and Matthias, martyred in Ethiopia, James martyred in Egypt, Jude and Simon hacked to death in Persia, modern Iran. The teacher, letting his disciples know that there would be a lot of quail shot flying around out there, and again it would be aimed at them, but he says he wasn't about. You can be sure to let all of that weigh them down to immobilize them. He gave them the facts, he gave them the reality, so they wouldn't live in some superfluous Pollyanna world, but at the same time he also gave them the certain hope that they needed to go forward in the midst of that world to do what he had called them to do. He would not allow them to be weighed down and immobilized by the fear of what they would confront, as was Mark Twain's frog in Calaveras County weighed down by the lead that was within him. No, what he told them, what he taught them, the opposition that they would confront simply prodded them to jump higher and further than they ever thought that they could. And isn't that indeed why they went from one place to the other? In fact, we heard it in the gospel for today. Jesus said to them, when they persecute you in one town, then flee to the next. And so it is through that very process of persecution that our Lord moves the witness of his name from one town to the next, from one place to the next shouting it as they went, actually discussing it as they went, proclaiming it, the gospel tells us, as they went from rooftop to rooftop, because that's where, in the heat of those mid-eastern days, families would gather and where they'd meet on the housetops. And there, the disciples would converse with those with whom they stayed from city to city as they went from place to place, from housetop to housetop, proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ in faraway places as they were martyred, as we heard, in so many different places, in India, and in Ethiopia, and Iran, as well as Greece, and in Turkey, and Rome, those very disciples who'd begun in Jerusalem. 
silenced by intimidating powers? Hardly. To them, such threats, to life and to limb, were to them, ultimately, mere facades. Indeed, what was whispered to them by our Lord on the hilltops of Palestine was shouted out by them from the house plate, housetops of, of those faraway places. Such, too, if you look at the Old Testament lesson today and you can see how they're related to one another as we read through these lessons, you can, you can see that with Jeremiah. The same thing was true with Jeremiah in our Old Testament lesson. There was a man of God, a young man of God, to be sure, who felt the same forces of the powers that were coming down upon him, people standing round about him, mocking him. Why? Because of the confession of the Lord that he made. How did he put it? He says, I've become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all the day long. Even his supposed friends waiting for the expedient moment would betray him when that moment of expediency came. I hear many whispering, he said, friends waiting for me to slip up, saying now we'll prevail over him, now we'll take revenge upon him. Fair-weathered friends at best, false friends more likely, friends ready to take not simply to quick cover, but friends who would take quick flight from Jeremiah when the quail shot was sounded around him. Not that Jeremiah didn't ever entertain the idea himself of simply sitting still and remaining silent when the world was shouting him down. He did entertain that thought. That's implied in the words that he says when he says, well, then I'll not mention God. I'll not speak his name anymore. But then what does he say? He says, but if I say that, there's in my heart a, a burning fire that's shut up in my bones and I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot hold it in. The momentarily muted prophet could remain a mute no more and he had to speak. And speak he did. His words clearly doing the first thing that words will do coming from one who confesses, namely confessing the one who sent them to confess. His fear is being overcome. And he praises the one who unties his momentarily intimidated tongue. The Lord, he said, the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and they will not prevail against me. And so you've got Jeremiah also echoing the divinely inspired sentiment of the psalmist before him that we heard of in today's intro. The psalmist who wrote, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to harm me? Jeremiah, like the prophets who came before him, the apostles that we heard of earlier, the confessors of the truth who would come after him, simply couldn't hold them down. And they simply would not be held down in the face of error, in the face of terror, in the face of falsehood. And so Martin Luther, who urged by friends to be silent in the face of papal errors in his day, what does Luther say? He said, he who holds his teaching and faith and confession to be true cannot stand in the same stall with those who teach false doctrine and are inclined thereto. 
A teacher, he says, who is silent against error and still professes to be a true teacher is worse than an open fanatic, and he does more harm than he. Be it the prophets, the apostles, the reformers, the confessors of faith throughout all of the ages, they all, like Jeremiah in our Old Testament reading today, or like the Apostle Paul in our epistle lesson today, or Luther just quoted, they all heard and they all heeded the words of our Lord that we heard in the gospel reading for today. Fear not, be not afraid of man. Fear not what the world would do to you. Because no matter what it is, it cannot undo what I have already done for you. For I, the Lord says, have inscribed your name in the eternal book of life. And how did he put it there? How did the Lord inscribe your name there? He put it there indelibly. It cannot be erased from there. He put it there with his own sacred blood impeccably shed upon the cross to eternally erase from the divine ledger every sin which you've ever committed against him, every sin that was entered there in that ledger, the ledger that St. John describes as the book of judgment which at the end of time is opened, that the dead might all be judged according to the things that are written therein. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ spilling over your pages in that book, there will be a blessed void there. There will be for you a glorious emptiness there where your sins would otherwise have been recorded in plain view. Because of Christ, there will be a remarkable absence of any kind and every kind of mark that might have otherwise been written down and cited verbally by the adversary against you at the end of time. And so St. Paul says, that Christ has, he says, canceled out the certificate of debt that consisted of decrees against us, having taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. The adversary against us has nothing anymore with which to charge us. Because, as St. John says, we have an advocate, a defender. We have an advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Who then, St. Paul says, who then, if Christ is for us, who can possibly bring a charge against God's elect? For God is the one who justifies. Who is it that would dare condemn? In all of heaven and upon all of earth, only one thing could erase your sins and my sins, our sins from the book of judgment, and that was the sacrificial blood of the Son of God of Jesus Christ, and that is what it took, and that's what it was. And in all of heaven and upon all of earth, only one authority could ever inscribe our names indelibly upon the book of life, and that one authority is none less than the same Lord Jesus Christ, who in the last script of scripture speaks of each of us saying, I will not erase his name from the book of life, nay, I will confess his name before my Father, and before his angels. Sounds a lot like what he says in today's gospel, doesn't it? That he would confess our name, even before the Father which is in heaven. Don't be afraid, Jesus says. Don't be afraid of those who are going to mistreat you, because in this world for a time you would bear my name. Don't even fear them, though they threaten to kill your body. They can't kill your soul. They cannot take from you what I have given eternally to you. They cannot remove one letter of your name 
from my book of life. So confess me boldly. Confess me before men. To be sure the world will try, as it has tried with those before you, to silence you by weighing you down with either the fear of its power in the world out there where you have to live, or by the fear of your sin's power still accusing you, threatening you from within. But it will not succeed. It can't. Because the faith implanted within you through his word, like that of Jeremiah, like that of the disciples of our Lord, like that of the confessors of the faith throughout the ages, that faith that he's implanted within you through holy baptism, that he strengthens in you through his word and sacraments, that faith simply will not be silent. It will not be silenced and intimidated, muted by fear. Why? Because we bear the unconquerable name of the one who knows no fear, of the one who fears no foe. Less than 300 years after the death of the last apostle, one of the early church fathers sets before us an example of what it is to confess Christ's name in the world no matter what might come. His name was Chrysostom, John Chrysostom, and he was called that because Chrysostom means golden-mouthed, and he was known for his eloquence in preaching and in his teaching and his bold confession of the faith. Consistently, he made that bold confession of faith over against others of his day who urged him constantly to be silent, at least to accommodate himself to the views of the emperor at the time who wasn't Christian. Chrysostom refused. He determined that he would preach the truth, that he would preach it boldly, didn't set well with the powers that be. Tradition tells us that the Roman emperor ordered Chrysostom to be arrested and to appear before him. It was done. The emperor told Chrysostom, if you will not renounce your faith in Christ, then I will banish you from the kingdom. Chrysostom responded to the threat by saying, emperor, you can't do that. You can't banish me from the kingdom because the whole world is Christ's kingdom and I am his and he is mine. Disturbed at what he viewed as the impertinence of it all, the emperor replied, Then I will take away your life. And Chrysostom said, But you can't take my life either. For my life, scripture says, is hidden with Christ and God, and you can't touch it. Frustrated that Chrysostom refused to be intimidated, the Roman emperor threatened to take him from him all of his treasures. Chrysostom said, My treasures, you can't take them from me, for my Treasure is in heaven where my heart is. Now enraged, the emperor shouted, Then I will drive you away from here, and you shall have no friends left. At which Christum responded, You cannot. For I have one friend from whom you can never, ever sever me. And that is my Christ. I will not be silent concerning him. <coughs> For because of him, you can do me no harm. And the aged Chrysostom was absolutely right. So was King August Gustavus Adolphus of Sweden, who 1,300 years after Chrysostom 
After writing the words that we're going to sing, led his army in singing them too before they went out to battle to fight for the right of men and women and children to openly confess their faith in Christ as it was delivered to the saints of old. And he wrote and he sang as his last earthly song because he died during the battle. This is what he wrote and had his army sing. As true as God's own word is true, not earth nor hell's satanic crew against us shall prevail. There might a joke, a mere facade. God is with us, we with God. Our victory cannot fail. It didn't then, it won't now, it never will. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.